What's up, everyone? My name is Chris Hagen. This is Above the Standard, the podcast brought in part by Barbell Battalion. And today I have such a cool guest, Dr. Chris Winter. He is a sleep doctor from the Charlottesville area, and he really dove headfirst into sleep as it impacts professional athletes in, in their travel, in their games. And we take those same comparisons and we weave them into the fire service and we, and we really see the impact on sleep and why it's so damn important to sure. And it's okay to nap. We talk about that. It's okay to nap on your shift. And really, it's encouraged by the experts. So please give it up for Dr. Chris Winter. Hey, Dr. Winter, how's it going? Hey, please call me Chris. How are you doing today? Good, good, good. Um, well, uh, I really want to thank you for uh, kind of uh, kind of going back and forth with me and trying to set this up. So I, I apologize for it being oh, so. Oh, uh, my short. pleasure, man. Appreciate your patience. Oh yeah, not 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 a problem at all. So the the reason why I wanted to um, get in contact with you is is you, your name was uh, continuously popping up for uh, research and sleep and um, sleep travel and. And what I want to focus on too that that is really not talked about often in the fire service is one the importance of sleep, and two, what kind of our job dynamics can impact our sleep. So that's one of the things I kind of wanted to bring into um, into this is go over some of the things in our world in the fire service world that might impact us a little bit. So that's kind of why I reached out to you, um, and so. What uh, kind of what's what's your background um, in in the the, the sleep medicine uh, world? Sure. So my background was to some degree accidental. Um, I, just for whatever reason, when I was little, I kind of decided I wanted to be a doctor and think that you know, I'd tell my relatives, most of whom did not go to college. Um, maybe didn't even finish high school, that I wanted to be a doctor, and it was a real exciting thing for them when, you know, four-year-old me would, would mention those kinds of things or whatever. So I, you know, I was always kind of interested in medicine and got a lot of encouragement from my family. When I got into school, I just happened to start doing some research for a doctor who was a sleep medicine, you know, guy and, and kind of a pioneer and, and um, just kind of, never really thought much about the field outside of just earning some biology credit hours and some money to buy beer on the weekends when I was an undergrad, but just really got to know the people who were in the, the field and, and and never left it. So I'd left undergraduate went and went to medical school, and while I was down there, went from the University of Virginia to Emory University down in Atlanta and started working in their sleep lab, too, with with a couple guys and, and kind of got interested in neurology. So I ended up going into neurology as a, a field of expertise. So left Emory Medical School and went back to the University of Virginia to do my neurology residency and just continued to work in sleep while I was finishing up my residency. And um, towards the end of it, thought, you know, I, I don't really want to leave it. I mean, it was always kind of like the side hustle sort of situation. And when it came time to finish up my residency, I said I really want to stay in this field. So I went down to the University of Chapel Hill and did a sleep fellowship um, after my residency and then came back to Charlottesville a third time and started a practice. So, I, you know, it just it's a great field. It's, it's incredibly interesting. It's relatively young when you look at other fields. So, and there's just so much you can do with it. You could just see sleep patients, you can write, you can do podcast interviews like this, and everybody's got a sleep story to tell, and everybody's got a sleep question to ask, so um, I just find the whole field endlessly fascinating, and really one in which you can help people significantly improve the quality of their life and health. Now, did I read correctly, I was just kind of doing some background work, Um, you had... um a niche or you had some, some specialized work either in, um, uh, like athletic, uh, like sleep study. Is that correct? That's right. So when I was an undergraduate, just kind of getting started and, and working with this wonderful doctor named Paul Surratt, I remember standing in a hallway or talking to him and I said, something to the order of, it'd be really interesting to, to look at how 
sleep and, and travel affects athletes and their performance. And, and I remember him looking at me and said, that would be a great idea for a study. And then he just kind of turned around and walked away. <laughs> so um, kind of like, that's a great idea, but I don't have the time or the capacity to do that right now. So years later, you know, that was undergrad, you know, so fast forward through undergraduate and, and, and medical school and residency and fellowship. When I got out and started in my practice, um, the Major League Baseball was actually having some games played in Puerto Rico because the Montreal Expos at the time were were doing some exhibition games there. So for the first time, you actually had games spread out over five time zones. And I thought, well, this would be kind of an interesting year to sort of look at how travel affects sleep. So just sort of on my own, I came up with a protocol and, and looked at it and then presented the research at a conference. And Major League Baseball decided to fund it for 10 years. Um, or for, I'm sorry, fund a 10-year retrospective study. And at the same time, the San Francisco Giants called and said, hey, you know, we saw you were doing some research on travel, and we are absolutely, you know, smashed by travel when it comes to looking at other teams around the league. And would you be able to help us? And it was kind of one of those things where, how about we all kind of help each other because, you know, this is so new. I'm not sure I, sure I have the answers, but I think I can, you know, with your help, try to figure them out. So I started working with the Giants, and then, from there, other teams called, and it just kind of became this completely separate thing, totally unintentionally. So, um, anyway, yeah. So that's that's how that came about. So I've worked with probably worked with probably forty professional sports organizations over the years, and and really enjoy the the, the work with those guys. I'm, I'm sad that so many of them are not able to do what they typically do right now. Um, but it's going to be really interesting to see what happens when sports come back with such a prolonged layoff with individuals getting so much more sleep and rest than they're used to. It'll be interesting. I, I have a feeling that when athletes get back in pools and on tracks, records are going to be shattered because of this layoff. <laughs> I have a feeling. Well, and that's again, like why I was so gravitated to talk to you because there's so many, uh, performances within the fire service that share uh, networks with athletic performance. Um, and absolutely. And so that's, it's, it's one of the biggest things that I think one, we are overlooked and two, I think it's been one of the biggest detriments to the fire service for the past hundred years. Uh, and really over the past decade, have they really started to address cardiac strain in terms of how you wake up for an alarm? You know, there there is a uh, hundred years of footage that show a fight, a bunch of guys in a room, um, and that alarm bell goes off for a fire, and they they jump up, they they go down, and thankfully we've had a pretty prolific research into what that alarm bell does to your cardiac strain, getting up right away. But what I wanted to, to kind of also talk to you about is the the neurological part of it waking up processing the information and then going to do your job so to back up a little bit though in, in what you found with with athletes and because athletes share such a close um physical and and training aspect of firefighters um how important was sleep quality when either prepping for training routines and athletes or game day I think it's incredibly important, and, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned the parallels between, you know, lead athletes and, and what you do as firefighters. I, I'm i not a huge, you know, fan of athletics, and I, I like them fine. Um, I think a lot of people assume that because I work with all these sports teams and, and elite athletes that I'm a huge sports fan, and really what drew me to start working with those types of athletes were that we could manipulate their sleep. We could make changes in the way they approach sleep and, and getting rest and recovery 
and then we could very clearly see what the effects, if any, were. Um, were they were we improving their performance? Were we worsening their performance? Was it having no impact whatsoever? Because to me, you know, helping a pitcher pitch faster is is great. There's nothing wrong with that at all. But what it really boils down to is what can we learn from this sort of performance lab, so to speak, and then how do we apply it to the people who are really doing the important work? And again, I'm not trying to diminish a, a basketball player's work, making his or her work. No, no, completely. Not, completely. not important, but you know, your house is on fire. <laughs> you're, you're you're in some sort of automobile accident situation. Performance and and ability to avoid injury is, is of the utmost importance. So to me, that was really always the end goal is that I want to take what we learn from the athlete and apply it to the average individual. It's you know no different than Gatorade. You know, we've developed this drink to replace the electrolytes in our football team down here in Florida, but maybe other people could benefit from it as well too. So I think the answer to your question is it's extremely important. I mean, and, and it's one of the variables under your control. I mean, whether or not you can do the job of a firefighter and, 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 and lift the hose and carry the person out of the building and effectively navigate situations, you know, there are things outside of your control, you know, how strong you are, how tall you are, how fast you are. But, you know, controlling nutrition, controlling sleep, controlling the way you take care of your body are all things completely, um, you know, these are, these are modifiable variables. So to me, it's extremely important. And, you know, when you look at things like reaction time, um, you know, decision-making capabilities, you know, and then just the physical nature of what you do, sleep has a direct impact on it. You know, not only today, how you'll perform today, but, you know, for individuals who are, who are making firefighting a career, um, it really makes a huge difference in terms of the longevity of that career, as well as, you know, your health along the way. So, you know, to me, I always talk to athletes and say, look, you know, you're sitting here in some training facility in Arizona, you know, as a new baseball player with this organization or, you know, some fantastic training center as a basketball player. And my guess is you've worked really hard to get to this place. And now that you've arrived, I, I hope that you don't want to leave because this seems like a lot of fun to me. Like if I were in your shoes, you know, you got this cool gear you're wearing and everything's taken care of and your whole job is just to be a great basketball player. Like, let's see how long we can make this last. Let's start doing things today that will help ensure that you're here next season when I come and talk to you all about sleep and that you're not just one of those people that, man, remember that? That 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 guy, or remember that woman who was such a good point guard? Whatever happened to her? Like, where did she go? You know, these kind of flashes, and because we see it all the time, and and the people who don't can't take care of their sleep, regardless of what career you're in, you know, fantastic all-star point guard, or you know, an important member of a fire brigade, uh, you're going to shorten your 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 tenure in that spot if you don't pay attention to your sleep. So, uh, neuro- neurologically, and and with um, cognitive function and awareness, um, what what kind of things are happening in the brain when um, we get woken up in the in the middle of the night? And so, because I think we can all experience, and this doesn't have to happen. This can happen if your baby starts crying in the middle of the night, or you hear a loud bang from your garage, and you get up, and you have like this 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 period where you're um, a little groggy, and, and you're still trying to process everything, and everything seems um, a little slower. Um, what what's happening in the brain? that's like causing, I guess, that slowing effect or that, that, that time to awake, because that part is extremely, um, important, um, in, in our job, especially in the middle of the night, because in, we have a lot of requirements. A lot of them are between 60 and 90 seconds we have from the time we get the alarm to when we have to be on the road and, and, and going to the emergency. And by this time we, we are having to, one, not only 
navigate and process road conditions and and safe navigation of a vehicle, um, but also getting into um, treatment of a patient if it's a medical or direct physical um, response in terms of a fire that we have to either do some sort of job performance, ladders, venting, um, making that interior um, attack. So what's happening in the brain when we get woken up like that? And is that normal to have that kind of groggy feeling? Yeah, it's not. So, um, you know, it's interesting. When I was at Emory, we did a fantastic study that probably has a lot of implications in terms of what you all do. And the study was we recruited normal volunteers, you know, a whole bunch of people from my medical school class, and they were subjected to three different sleep nights of sleep. The first night they just slept normally. So they came into the sleep lab. We got them all hooked up. They you know, read their anatomy book for a little bit, turned it off the lights, and went to sleep and slept a normal night. The second night um, was a night where they were up all night, so they were completely sleep-deprived. They never n- never fell asleep. The third night, we allowed them to sleep, um, but every time they started to go into a state of dreaming or REM sleep, we woke them up. So they had an incredibly fragmented night. So either they went into REM sleep or for a certain designated period of time went by, this buzzer went off, and I remember the my mentor down there, Don Blywise, trying to figure out, you know, what can we do to get them to wake up? We need something that's remote-controlled. So I found this remote-controlled C-3PO doorbell. <laughs> so we, 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 we fixed it underneath their bed, and it was so loud and so grating. He just, you know, the little... Oh dear, the empire has invaded the ship. We make all these sounds and crazy conversations, and there's no way you could have slept through it. So, so those are the three nights, and what we were actually measuring was brain blood flow. So, if you you pull up Google and type in middle cerebral artery, you'll you'll see that your brain has these. You know, two arteries that are kind of large, you go up the front, the anterior part of your brain, and the middle street artery is the big blood vessel that really supplies the majority of your brain uh, on one side or the other. And so we took an ultrasound probe, and we can measure the blood flow going through that middle cerebral artery, you know, in real time. And so what would happen was, you know, we would make these little measurements throughout the night in these three different groups, and what we found was, the people who slept throughout the night uh, normally had a normal amount of cerebral blood flow. The people who stayed up all night actually in the morning had a little bit more blood flow, um, which is really interesting to me and kind of makes sense if you've ever pulled an all-nighter, you know, to take your government test or your math test or whatever. That morning when you get ready to go take the test, a lot of people feel pretty amped up. You know, you go take your test, and then later on in the day, you kind of crash from the sleep deprivation. I'm sure it's probably the same for maybe firefighters. What was most surprising was the interrupted night, the night where the buzzer was going off throughout the night, just like the night where the pager or the fire bells going off at sudden, suddenly at times during the night. When you actually measured their blood flow, it was terrible. And, and so the thought was perhaps mechanism of the reason why so many people have strokes and heart attacks kind of first thing in the morning had to do with sort of un, uh, had to do with interrupted sleep and its effects on our ability to control the blood flow in our brain. So, you know, why people feel slow in the morning, a lot of that has to do with, you know, feelings of, you know, grogginess and, and how are you coming out of deep sleep and what was the nature of your sleep. So, you know, scheduling, if you're somebody who's always working days and you flip to nights, you can feel pretty rough in the morning. So there's lots of things that can make people feel tired during the day. But, you know, one of the things we were looking at was this process and thinking, wow, you know, the, the doctor who's on call, the nurse that's on call, the firefighter's on call, this is not a terribly healthy situation and then if you couple that with shift work, you know, let's have these crazy shifts. You'll do days for, you know, 
three weeks of days and you'll have a couple of days off, you'll come back and do nights and or like this factory nearby here, they do seven on or they do twelve on, twelve off. So like seven A to seven P for two weeks and they flip to the night. They then they do seven P to seven A for two weeks. So, you know, it's explorations like this that really start to underscore you know, how these, these decisions we make about our sleep and how we approach it can really have pretty dramatic effects on our health over a long period of time. So, yeah, we have a kind of a wild, and, and really every fire department can be different, um, but probably one of the, the, the in, in response to kind of what you're referring to, there's a, a fire department locally to me where they have a, um, a shift that's, uh, they work the first, they work one day, uh, 12 hours during the day, next day 12 hours during the day um i believe they have a day off and then they do two 10-hour night shifts back to back and just a wild um uh shift cycle in addition to we have ones that are like one we have where you work 24 hours on then you have 24 hours off you have 24 hours back on and you repeat that for three three work days and then you have a four-day um break the other ones are going to be like a 48, uh, you work a 48 hour shift and then you go right into four days off. And then, uh, there's some other ones and they're like a 24 hour shift where you work and then you have two days off right after that. And then you're back into it. Um, I guess if you could, what, what is, um, you mentioned REM sleep and what is that difference between REM sleep and and non REM sleep and how it, it impacts our body's, I guess, natural recovery process? Like, why do we need it, or what's why is it important? Sure. So, the biggest thing, um, the biggest thing is that sleep, particularly deep sleep, which we tend to get in the first, you know, two or three hours of our night predominantly, is when our bodies make growth hormone, and and growth hormone is uh, is is important you know when we're young it, it it does exactly what it says it makes us grow which is why when you look at a young person they have so much more deep sleep happening than an adult which it tends to kind of slow down as we get a little bit older um but even after we've stopped growing growth hormone still incredibly important from the perspective of it strengthens our bones it helps to maintain muscle mass. Um, it's um, important for our immune system functioning. Um, it helps us with injury, both in terms of prevention and recovery. Uh, there's a reason why um, you know athletes put it in a syringe and, and, and inject themselves with it. It really does have positive effects, at least in the short term. Uh, when it comes to performance. Um, so, you know, it's really important for an individual that is engaged in something that is performance demanding that they get optimal sleep so they can have optimal growth hormone secretion. So, you know, I tell my patients all the time, there's nothing wrong with eating a cupcake. Um, but if your entire diet consists of cupcakes, my guess is you're going to die pretty young. <laughs> it's not. It's just as simple. So you know. So I always tell people, look, you know, hey, you're a 24 year old athlete. You're a you know 22 year old firefighter. Look, it's fun to be young. You know, go out, have a good time with people. You know, pull an all nighter if you want to. It's. I mean, I'm not going to tell you not to do it. I'm just going to tell you when you decide to go out and really rip it up and come home at four o'clock in the morning and go to bed, even if you sleep eight hours at that point, you're, you're going to, you're, you're going to struggle. And, and the struggle is going to be, um, that you don't get your growth hormone that night, even if you sleep for eight hours, because your body was not expecting to suddenly go to bed at four o'clock in the morning. You've kind of missed your opportunity for the growth hormone. So, you know, to me, that's the cupcake. Like, sure, have a cupcake every now and then. I don't think that, you know, we need to live, lead lives where we have a perfect eight hours of sleep every night and you never stay up and you never go out and have fun and you never do anything interesting. Um, but 
just understand that when you make the decision, you've made the decision to sort of forego the release of this chemical that's going to help you feel better. So if you make a habit of that um, and the going out and the doing things like that and the self-abuse becomes the norm, whatever it is that you do for a living, you're not going to be doing it as long as other people who are taking better care of themselves. In fact, we did a study looking at... um, uh, we did a study looking at um, Major League Baseball players, and we measured their sleepiness. We just asked them simple questions. There's something called an Epworth sleepiness scale. How likely are you to fall asleep? And we give them certain situations. Um, and they answer, I would definitely fall asleep here. I would never fall asleep there. So you can score them based upon their sleepiness. And so what we did was we sort of ranked these players based upon their sleepiness. You hear the most sleepy players all the way over here to the least sleepy players. And then after three years, we went back and found them. And, and I had this wonderful research assistant that did all this work. And um, so her job was to kind of track them all down and figure out, okay, where are they now? And then once she figured out, okay, well, this guy is still playing Major League Baseball, and he is too, and, well, this guy quit last year, this guy got hurt, this guy got demoted down to AAA, we could you know, look for the relationship between sleepiness and whether or not you were still playing Major League Baseball. And I remember submitting all the data to this guy I work with at the University of Virginia who did my statistics for me because I don't feel like I – that, that's my strongest suit. I can kind of do them, but I wanted a real expert to do them. Plus, I wanted somebody who wasn't me. I always think it's weird when sure, you do your own numbers. But anyway, yeah, so I gave it to this guy who was Korean and lovely, lovely gentleman, but really thought that as a physician in the United States, I should probably be curing cancer and not trying to figure out how well baseball players slept <laughs> um, and, would, and would tell me that in no uncertain terms. Um, but anyway, so I sent him all the data, a couple hours later, he sent me back an email, and the email just said, did you make these numbers up? <laughs> so, I, so I wrote back and said, of course not. No, I did not make these numbers up. He said, then he wrote back and said, good, because these are frighteningly um, significant, you know, meaning that the correlation between your sleepiness and whether or not you stay in Major League Baseball he said was, you know, almost perfect. You know, so the more you rose on that sleepiness scale, the more the odds were that you wouldn't be in a Major League Baseball uniform three years later. No way. So it's a really interesting study, um, not just for baseball players, but let's take the, the fire brigade and get all the members together and ask them these same questions we asked the baseball players I almost guarantee you the same thing would happen. We did it with a women's crew team one time. So the coach said, hey, I heard you speak at this conference. I'd love for you to talk to our women. Um, So I went there and talked to them, and I gave them all the little survey. And so I had done it ahead of time, and so when I got there, I put their results up on the board. And it was all depersonalized. It was nothing confidential, but I was like, here you all are, these little – you know, women rower icons, and above them had their degree of sleepiness, had them all ranked. They were shockingly sleepy, just as a collective, and three of them were some of the sleepiest people I've ever seen. And back then, I used to say, you know, I would point to the sleepiest person on the graph and say, I want everybody to put their pointer finger out and point to this person who you think it is. And they all immediately pointed to this one girl who looked like she was about to fall asleep during my presentation. So I don't do that anymore because I feel like that's kind of unnecessarily embarrassing <laughs> yeah, people. But that's all right. So when you know after that was all said and done, I sat down with the coach and he said, you know, I said you got a, a lot of sleepy people here. I said this is a good thing. And he said, why is it a good thing? I said because you can fix it. I said you're already a really good crew team. If you can make your team half as sleepy as they are now, not even normalize them, just make them half as sleepy they'll do better. And sure enough, they won the national championship at one point. So, um, so and that's why I looked at that baseball data is that, yeah, there are sleepy people here on your team or in your firehouse or in your hospital. Just come up with a plan to make them not, and you'll have less sick days, more productivity, less injury, less illness, less job turnover. I mean, it's just 
simple math. Um, so I, I think that all those things tend to go into, you know, what you're trying to do as a, as a fireman because the sleep is so integral to all these parts of recovery in your body. So um, I would say one of the 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 biggest things that, that really impact our, our fire service is nutrition and um, consequently obesity. And what there were... In, in some of the um, just prep work I was doing for this, um, I kept finding um, these two uh, the, the, the two hormones uh, with, uh, leptin and ghrelin. Um, yeah. And so, I, and then I worked with uh, I went to school with um, uh, a gentleman that did a, a, case, a case study on the on on sleep in in terms of firefighters. That's the first time I had ever heard. Um, these these two hormones before and I and so what are they and, and how do they impact diet so these are chemicals that are related to sleep uh, in that um, when, when we sleep certain chemicals are promoted and certain chemicals are inhibited so when you look at Leptin. Leptin is a chemical that's actually produced by adipose cells or fat cells that that have the ability. This chemical has the ability uh, to basically um, suppress appetite. So when you're looking at that, basically what you're what, what's happening is as you're accumulating fat, you're theoretically producing more leptin that's going to make you want to eat less. So there's a homeostatic mechanism here, a, a balance-maintaining mechanism. As I am getting fatter, I'm producing more of a chemical that makes me want to eat less. Really? That's so a... that's the way it should work. Okay, okay. Um, the All right. prob- so the problem with sleep deprivation or sleep disturbances are you tend to make less of that chemical when your sleep is disturbed. So now the benefit, now the situation is I'm not getting enough sleep because I'm working two jobs and driving an Uber in between. So the body is basically saying we're not getting rest. We're not getting energy from our sleep. So perhaps we could eat ourselves awake. This is essentially what's going to happen here. Um, so you know, I tell people all the time when your sleep is disturbed, Fix your sleep. Don't worry about your weight right now because you're really fighting an uphill fight. Once you get your sleep squared away, it's going to be much easier for you to get your weight under control. The second chemical you mentioned is ghrelin. is is a is a chemical produced in the gut in our gut, um, the lining of our gut, and the chemical has the effect of making us crave all the wonderful food you find in a gas station convenience store at 3 o'clock in the morning, chips and sodas and candy bars and um, milkshakes and the ice cream sandwich in between two chocolate chip cookies with chocolate chips sprinkled all around the outside, you know, all those things that you, know, you kind of gravitate towards um, when you're in those situations. So when an individual is sleep-deprived, unlike leptin where you're making less, you actually make more of that chemical. So the, what, what's essentially, again, happening is you're, you're trying to eat yourself awake, and now your body is choosing foods that have high-fat, high-sugar content so that as you eat yourself awake, you're eating yourself awake with, with foods that, that have a, you know, a, a lot of energy potential um so and there you go that's why the 24-hour convenience store works you know the guy the truck driver's been driving all through the night pools in there at three o'clock in the morning and suddenly everything in there looks good to her you know she wants the chips and the soda and i'll take the crackers and the ice cream and you eat it and you feel bad about yourself and i was the exact same way in residency man i would go in there and get the family-sized chips ahoy and have a sleeve of the meat before i got back to my call room and think to myself, why did I do that? Like, I just wanted to reach into my stomach and pull all those cookies out. But, you know, the, the reason was, you know, we were terribly sleep-deprived when we were on call. You know, that was back when being on call every other night was allowed. And so we were essentially eating ourselves awake or drinking coffee to keep ourselves awake. So 
when people have disturbed sleep, you know, the metabolic consequences are, are really tremendous. You don't see a lot of sleep-deprived shift workers who look like they should be on the cover of, you know, Men's Health. <laughs> right. Well, and that, and that's the same case for, unfortunately, a, a large um, majority of of, of of firemen. And I don't want to say majority, but there's either, like, the quote-unquote, I guess, dad bod figure and above, and... I would say now, now more than ever, there's been uh, this continued. I think with the help of social media, this continued resurgence to to combat um, all those factors, and a lot of it does come to nutrition and exercise. But there's extremely uh, little discussion um, on sleep, and so with with the the sleep deprivation, um, wh- what's the what's the long term? Um, Let's, I guess, an, uh, a higher level look. What's a, th- what's a long thirty? Let's just say a thirty year career, of of like sleep sleep interruption and 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 maybe getting towards sleep deprivation. What are in in your 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 experiences? What have you seen, or what what is known for a long term health effects of sleep interruption or sleep deprivation? Sure. So, I mean. If that person is alive, uh, and these are the people, it doesn't have to be sort of an unhealthy an, an situation. I mean, this is this can be the the multimillionaire stockbroker in Silicon Valley who uh, has his own personal triathlon coach, um, gets up at four o'clock in the morning and works out with him, um, goes into the office. Uh, does all these great things and goes to bed at midnight. And when I, when you talk to him, you're like, man, you're only going to, you're only getting four hours of sleep here. And he'll say something like, as long as I get about four hours, I'm fine. And this is the guy that looks like a, you know, a Greek God really takes care of himself and dies at the age of 51. And nobody can figure it out because he had just done a triathlon two weeks ago. I mean, it's not healthy to have, you know, lack of sleep, fragmented sleep. So to answer your question, that person, if they survive, those decades, they're going to be obese, they're going to have high blood pressure, they're going to have type 2 diabetes, um, they're going to have probably, uh, you know, the beginnings, um, or not too far away from the beginnings of some sort of early cognitive decline, they're going to have a lot of interactions with the healthcare system, um, there's a much higher likelihood that they will have had or have cancer. Um, we know that shift work is considered now a class 2A carcinogen by the World Health Organization. Although, you know, the United States is not going to participate with the World Health Organization anymore, so right. we don't have to worry about that, I guess. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's just an absolute picture of unhealth, and, and I see it all the time. And it's so interesting to me when I see that person in my clinic, he comes in, he's on three different blood pressure medications, he's 120 pounds overweight, um, depressed, so the psychiatric ramifications are tremendous, Um, has had two heart stents placed, um, blood sugar out of control, and today he's come to my office because his doctor's worried that he might have sleep apnea. And it's always shocking to me that, wow, like, today you were sent here because the thought you might have a sleep problem or sleep apnea. Where was that thought 10 years ago? Because I can promise you if we dial back the clock 10 years and I ask you some questions, simple questions about how are you sleeping, what's your sleep schedule like, do you feel tired during the day, that, that you would have clearly shown evidence of problems with your sleep. So it's... It's interesting how people will let that go. I mean, the joke in my clinic is when a guy is told you should go see a sleep doctor, something wrong with your sleep, by his friend, by his wife, by his mother, whomever, it'll be about five years before it actually happens. Um, So to me, fixing somebody's sleep is kind of low-hanging fruit. I can't fix your congenital, you know, defect in your whatever, but you know, if you're having trouble sleeping or you're a shift worker, we can we can make things better. You know, sometimes a shift work, we can't make it perfect, but we can certainly make it better. 
and it's tough. I mean, it's a, these are tough choices. I mean, you've worked really hard, and you get home, and for the first time, you've got some time to yourself. It's sometimes hard to say, okay, well, I'm going to go to bed and get my sleep and get up and do it all again tomorrow versus, no, I want to take some time and watch this you know, movie or football game I taped. You know, I want a little bit of me time here um, because, I, you know, I don't want to go right to bed and have to go to work the next day or have to deal with my kids or deal with this or that. But, um, you know, I just think that people today are just working themselves very hard to keep up financially um, and sleep really is something that gets cut out of the equation very quickly. What um, what's the what's the impact of having let's just say a a a, a midday nap? You know, one one of the uh, a, a retired um, captain uh, a department by us, he once said a a a, a well rested fireman is a great fireman, and it was a tongue in cheek comment regarding you know why he takes a nap all the time during the day. And you know the 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 running joke was he's old and and it was just kind of a, a funny thing. But is there, you know, could 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 firemen benefit? You know, unknowing that they're going to either run all night or, or all day. I mean, is there is there a benefit from taking a a a, a midday a midday nap twenty thirty four you know forty minutes or whatever? I I think so. I mean, I always tell people you know napping is for efficient sleepers. And what I mean by that is, if you're somebody who's, you know, I went to bed last night at 10 o'clock and it took me three hours to fall asleep, or I woke up at midnight and went to the bathroom and couldn't get back to sleep for a couple hours, I don't think that person should nap. You had the chance, your brain decided not to do it, that's fine. You don't, you don't facilitate that problem with napping, because that's where you really get into trouble. Now the isolated hiccup of one bad night becomes lots of bad nights because you take a three-hour nap in the afternoon because you had such a difficult night and now when you go to bed you don't feel that motivated to sleep so it takes you a while to fall asleep and the and the continue and you know, so on and so forth I, I think in the case of a fire firefighter you know a nap is a great idea if something is preventing you from getting sleep hey look i'm a great sleeper would have slept all night but we got three calls last night um, and so the time that I ordinarily would have been sleeping was taken from me. Oh, by all means, you should take a nap. You know, so they, in fact, they did a study recently, I think it was out of Toronto, where they said, stop thinking about it as being seven or eight hours a night. It's probably best to think of it as um, 49 to 56 hours a week. You know, so if... Tuesday night is just a disaster of a night. Hey, you've got six more days to make up for that sleep deficit. So, you know, you can't make up probably a, a sleep deficit that happened six months ago. I had a bad, you know, February of 2014. So today in July of 2020, I'm going to make up for that. And that train is probably, probably left the station. But you can make up a sleep debt probably in the short term. So, to me, absolutely, and I've talked to firefighters before, and I've asked them about napping, you know, and it's so interesting. You've got this firehouse that has a nap room. You know, it's designated. Go in here. It's quiet. It's dark. It's got comfortable sitting and lavender spray and noise machines, and we encourage you to use it um, because it's going to make you a better firefighter. Then I talk to other firefighters, and they're like, yeah, when, you know, when we're on for our 12- or 24-hour, you know, 12-hour shift or 24-hour shift, we're encouraged not to nap. It's kind of looked down upon. Oh, I'll tell you what. It's 100%. That's 100% accurate. I mean, there is the the, the departments, at least, and I say this all the time, you know, if if I have a problem at my my department, there's 100 having the same thing. And we're we're the same way. You know, we, yeah, we, we, I, I can say this about fear of retribution. Whoever's making that policy, if you're listening, you're an idiot. <laughs> it's no different. Than, and listen, what would happen if you all got called out in the morning right as breakfast was being served? And, you know, that 7 a.m., the eggs are on the griddle, the bacon, and it, you get called out, and you leave and come back, and you finally get back there around 9. Would, would somebody say to you, I'm sorry, you know, you can't have any of this food. We have to wait until noon because that's lunchtime. You're not allowed to eat because you missed your meal time. And, and I'm sorry it happened that the fire was poorly timed, but 
sorry, we only eat during our meal times. I mean, if you're asking me, is it better to eat on a schedule? Sure it is. Absolutely. Because your body starts to prepare itself for the meal it knows is coming every day at noon. And they've shown that, that if you give somebody a candy bar every day at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and give this another group of people the same candy bar just at random times during the day, it has a far less of a negative metabolic impact on the, guy, on the group that eats the candy bar every day at 3 than the random people. However, you know, we, we can't help when the fire happened. It happened at breakfast time. So, of course, you're going to let those firefighters come back and eat whenever they want to, whatever they want to. It doesn't make any sense, yet we have these antiquated views about sleep that sleep is lazy. I was working with a baseball team, and we finally convinced them to create a nap room. And the administration of the team still said, well, we'd rather not call it nap room or sleep room or restroom because it sounds lazy. Like, well, you can name it Carl. I don't care what you name it. Like, just build it, for God's sake. Yeah, you can, make, yeah, you can name did. it the Unicorn Room. It doesn't matter. You can name it the Unicorn. They did, and two years later, the guy I was working with who really believed in sleep said, um, we have been providing our stats people data because every time somebody goes into the nap room, they swipe a card, and it's their own card. So we know exactly who's using it and exactly when they're using it. And after two years, the statistics people said, and they were doing this because the administration thought that the nap room create problems or laziness or poor production. It was the complete opposite. After two years, they said it is clear that the athletes using the nap room are performing better than the athletes who aren't. Well, duh. Yeah. Hey, this is crazy. The people who come to the cafeteria and eat food are doing way better out there on the field than the people who aren't. I mean, sure they are, of course. So especially in a group that's kind of similar to a firefighter, it's a very weird schedule, tons of travel, a lot of unpredictable. So we have to stop this idea that the firefighting situation is a normal situation and stop trying to shove that square pig into, peg into a round hole. You know, it just, it's, it's not going to happen. So we've got to take what the situation is. It's like a trauma surgeon. After I wrote my book, a buddy of mine who's a trauma surgeon, she called me up and said, your book really distresses me because of my lifestyle. What can I do? And I said, I, I don't know. I mean, you can get called out at any hour of the night. You can work for hours straight patching people up and I get it you can't just take a break hey I'm sorry it's nine o'clock I've got to go to bed I can't come in and help save this person that you love sorry like of course but the fact of the matter is that's taking you out of a very normal situation with your sleep so there are things we can do to make it better but it's it these are tough situations to be in there's not a pill for that so the idea that you're not going to allow a firefighter to, to take a 20-minute nap during a time when it's appropriate and safe does not make any sense to me. Well, right, and, and I think when, I think at least in our industry, I think when, when someone says nap, hey, we're going to go take a nap, I think what they're envisioning is the, um, the, the, the Sunday evening or the Sunday afternoon nap of of someone's uncle or father who would nap for three or four hours and would just be um uh un, unusable and and unproductive and i think that it it's a uh like what you had experience with the baseball team is it it is the is it projects laziness and that it's it's clear it comes from a, an area of misunderstanding what the benefits are and I don't think anyone in our industry, well, I, I can't say anyone, but I think when we're talking about a nap, I, we're not talking about on a Thursday at at 1 p.m. taking a four-hour nap and then getting up and then having dinner and going back to bed. I think most of us are really just looking for between 20 and maybe 60 minutes of a nap and enough to just, just recharge. And I, I want to ask you, is there a positive impact on someone's um, body when, in terms of a nap, um, if they don't completely fall asleep? Like, is there absolutely okay? So explain yeah, it. I so, tell so people, 
don't don't measure success or failure of a nap by unconsciousness. So the, the organization I was talking about, talking about not wanting to name it nap room, I actually agree with that, but not because I because napping feels lazy or whatnot. It's really more of napping creates an expectation okay. that you're going to go in here and nap, and if you don't nap, you failed. Right. Um, it's like when you have kids, we never called our nap time nap time. We called it rest time. So you, you name the room in the fire station the resting room, and there's all kinds of things you can do to design it and make it really fun and inviting and impactful. But the resting room comes with an instruction. Book. The instruction book on page one says, you rest here. Go in here, and just like you said, for 20 minutes. You, know, you tell your brigade chief, I don't know how things are structured, you tell your co-workers, your brigade chief, hey, I'm going to go take a 20-minute nap, or I'm sorry, 20-minute rest. Um, set up a watch or have somebody come get you in 20 minutes, whatever you do. That's kind of what I do in my office. I'll tell my office manager, I'm going to rest for 20 minutes. Um, try to do it around the same time if you can. That might be difficult for you. But you go in there and you rest. And guess what? Resting is completely under your control. In fact, as I'm sitting here talking to you on the phone, I can do it right now. I can lean back in my chair. I can close my eyes. I can kick my shoes off. Okay, there. I'm, I'm actually resting right now. I, I did it. And uh, if you asked me to do it 100 times, I would succeed 100 times. If you ask somebody to sleep or nap, th- the results might be a little bit varied. So what you start to get into is particularly with the more detail-oriented type A people, the ones who, you know, f- neatly put their boots exactly this way in the cubbyhole and, and, and perfectly fold the fire hose, like, you know, those guys, people that you, we all know, they get in there and if they get into the napping room or the resting room and they don't fall asleep right away, they start to become anxious. You know, oh my God, I'm not falling asleep. I was so tired during that meeting we just had, and now here I am with the opportunity to sleep, and I can't. And they're frustrated, and what do I do? And this is where sleeping pills start to kind of pull into the mix, which is just a terrible situation all around. So when you give somebody the, 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 the relieve them of the burden of sleep and say, look, no, 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 just go in there, put the eye mask on, spray the lavender spray on the lazy boy, recline it, close your eyes, just rest. You can think about your wife or husband. You can think about your kids. You can think about a cool thing to do this weekend. You can think about a fishing trip that you plan every year with your buddies. You can think about an interesting TV show you've been watching and and what all the symbolism of Breaking Bad means. Like, whatever you want to do. Or you can sit there and think about things. Say prayers. You know, count backwards from seven. See how many state capitals you can name. Just the key is for the next 20 minutes, just be relaxed, just kind of meditative. If you fall asleep, great for you. If you don't, trust me, you're going to feel a whole lot better in 20 minutes having had that period where you can just close your eyes and relax, um, even if you don't sleep. And then once you start to truly believe it, you know, I can sit here and tell you during a podcast that's going to happen, but until you go out there and try, I don't believe it. I'm going to do it for the next week. I'm going to, every day, I'm going to try to find a 20-minute period of rest. It's amazing how good you can feel. I mean, I remember sometimes being after heavy travel, I'd be back in my clinic working way too much, sitting there talking to a patient at 1130 in the morning and really fighting the urge to close my eyes or yawn as they're sitting there telling me their story and just feeling like a real heel for not being completely awake while they're sitting there and just thinking, if I could make it to lunch... I can take a nap and I'll be okay. And it's amazing how incredibly sleepy I am. I go in there, I sleep, I rest, I nap, I don't nap. I, I, I always feel good after that period of time. So, you know, I always tell people resting is not failed sleep. It is its own thing, and you can get really good at it. You know, for people who really meditate, really buy into it, that period of time can be incredibly restorative. And if you make it a habit, like the older chief you were talking about, oh, yeah, you will become the older chief or the older firefighter because you'll feel better, you'll be mentally more prepared for it, you'll be healthier, um, you know, good things will happen. Um, when you were doing the research with, with the, 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 the sports teams and the travel, 
Um, did you find sleep quality was changed or altered, and maybe in your own experience, from when you sleep at your home versus a hotel or somewhere foreign? Um, and, the, and the reason I bring that up is sleep quality, could sleep quality be um, replicated in your home where you're probably most comfortable? And like for, for our instance, a fire station, but for also your your experience, a a, travel, a traveling athlete that might be getting up or uh, anticipating a game where firemen, they go to sleep. And I think there's a subconscious anticipation of or anxiety of a call. You have a radio next to you. You have the pager. You know that, you know, I, I better get to sleep now or a call is going to come in or you know that the last two or three shifts – uh, you've gone through the night without a call, and you're thinking this is the night. This is when I'm going to get hammered with calls. Um, is there is there any sort of a change in sleep quality between where where you're most comfortable, let's say home, and, and either on the road or or like well, for instance a, a fire station? You know, it's an interesting it's an interesting question because the the baseball player essentially has the varying place where he sleeps, um, but he doesn't necessarily um, have to worry about the timing of things, if that makes sense. Whereas perhaps the firefighter has the more um, uniform situation with his sleeping environment, but maybe concerned about what's going to happen um, in terms of you know being called out that night. Um, so I, I think the answer to your question is yes, you, you can you can achieve good sleep even in a place that's not your home. Uh, I do think it requires some thought and I always tell people start with your senses, you know smell, feel, sound, sight. So, you know, making the bedding comfortable, uh, making it dark, making it quiet, um, making it smell like home or feel like home, all these things can, can really make a difference. And, and probably smell um, is the one that's probably the easiest and has maybe the big impact because we tend to tie smell very closely to memory. Um, so, you know, if when you go home and you're home at, at, and you're in the bed that you love and feels great, you know, getting a little bit of lavender spray um, and, and, and spraying it on a pillow or something of that nature. And then when you're in the firehouse, you do the same thing. Um, and so that it kind of tricks your body into thinking um, you're, 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 you're at home because you, it smells like home. Um, you use the same, the exact same pillow at the firehouse, uh, so it, you know that feels like. It. So all these little things um, can really make a difference. I, you know, I remember a baseball player saying that one of the things that really helped him was he took his wife's, like this kind of T-shirt she would often sleep in, and he would always he wouldn't let her wash it. She'd wear it a couple nights, and he would just take it on the road with her and just kind of ball it up and have it next to him on the pillow, so it kind of smelled like her. You know, all these little things, I think, do make a difference. So I think you can. I mean, I think it's all about comfort and familiarity um, when it comes to something like that. Awesome. Um, I, I know we've been talking for a little while now. I just have, like, the last two things here, and, and I think they're they're most relatable to our field. Um, one, the and we, you've mentioned it a couple of times. We kind of uh, glossed over it. What What's the impact um, that uh, either obesity and or snoring, but probably just more obesity. How if if that continues to spiral or just develop, how why does obesity have an impact on our sleep? Yeah, um, I mean, probably you know, obesity is probably much more of an issue um, because of sleep apnea. Um, and, and breathing situations, 
that, that's probably the biggest impact that. And sleep apnea is when you 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 cease yeah, you cease breathing. Your airway collapses. Yep. Okay. Um, and so you can either sleep or you can breathe, but you cannot do both effectively at the same time. Um, so I, I think that obesity probably plays the biggest role in sleep as it as it pertains that. Um, and as people's weights go up, the tendency to develop sleep apnea goes up. Conversely, if people can lose weight, they can have their sleep apnea go away. So um, I, I think that, you know, there's all kinds of reasons from a health perspective not to gain weight, but it's that's probably the big one. And then, um, it, I mean, it, it makes, makes, makes total sense. Um, just another reason why you know it's one of the worst things that that we have in our industry right now and just kind of wrap up um i know there's this uh, i believe they what they refer to cell phone light as what blue light and um well blue is part of the light spectrum that's coming from a cell phone yeah okay okay so with that light does that change our um our, our sleep quality as well, or our ability to fall asleep quickly. Cause I, I, I know, I know for a fact I'm guilty of it. My wife is, there's probably a majority of the guys in the fire department and fire departments around you, you call it a night, you lay down in bed, you check your cell phone. Next thing you know, you're on TikTok for, for a half hour and, uh, or checking Snapchat or whatever. Um, you know, does that, does that play a trick on your brain with that kind of light as opposed to, either a reading light, an incandescent light, or just sh- shutting it off and going to bed? It does. And, and the biggest issue that it does is it, 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 what it's doing is it's, it's, um, it's, it's, it's telling your brain that you're awake. Um, and, and that's sort of the, the, the problem is it's telling your brain that the sun is up. So at 10 o'clock at night, you're sitting there staring at your phone because um, you want to fall asleep or something. And, and the, the phone is basically giving you the message that, hey, it's, it's lunchtime, it's noon, let's be awake. Um, because as that blue light disappears, we start to make melatonin, and melatonin makes us feel sleepy. It sort of synchronizes our, um, our, our sleepiness to day and night. So if you've got light in front of you all the time, it's... it's 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 very difficult to kind of accumulate um, that 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 sleepiness and to time it properly. That's awesome, uh, Chris. Thank you so much. Um, uh, and if you can, you wrote a book. What's that book, and and how, where can people find it? Sure. So my book is called "The Sleep Solution: Why Your Sleep Is Broken and How to Fix It." Um, you can buy it. You know, as a you know, paperback or hardback, you can get it on a Kindle, which is fine with me as long as you're not reading it at night. <laughs> um, you can also get it as an audiobook on Audible. Um, you know, I, I wrote it, my, my, my intention was, you know, I, I wanted it to feel like you, you sat down and had a beer with a sleep doctor. Like, it, I don't like to use a lot of formal language because that's not really who I am. It's a very conversational kind of writing style. Yeah, exactly. So conversational, but still scientifically you know, grounded and, and hopefully funny, although I'm, I'm sure that my humor annoys as many people <laughs> as it amuses. No. And, if, and the great thing about it is if you don't find it funny, most of the little humorous comments are in footnotes, so just don't read the footnotes if you really <laughs> don't. So, but, but my hope would be that you could make it kind of fun and really just sort of de-stress the situation of, I can't fall asleep at night, or I wake up and can't get back to sleep, and you know, I just, I struggle with, with sleep and a lot of people who work in your industry do. And so I hope people find it, you know, entertaining, but more, more so educational and ultimately really, really helpful to allow them to either solve their sleep problems or understand when it might be beyond their control to solve, it might need to see a sleep doc. That's awesome. So everyone make sure you go out, uh, buy Chris's book. I know I'm going to, um, Chris, thank you so much for for uh, spending this time with me. I'm glad we could finally connect and uh, get this going. I could talk to you for hours on sleep, and I think this is, I think, extremely helpful to 
break down a lot of uh, information that is not known in our job and how important naps are. So if there's any captain, battalion chief, district chief, fire chief, uh, we got to institute the restroom uh, in, the, in, the, in the fire stations. Um, That's right. You bet. He, I second that motion. Yeah, Chris prescribed it. Um, so, uh, Doctor, thank you so much. I appreciate it, Chris, and uh, have yourself a good day, okay? Hey, you too. Have a great day. All right, we'll see you. Bye. Bye now. Uh, thank you so much to Chris for spending the time with us talking. I had so much fun listening to what he had to say. I could talk to that guy for hours. Uh, when you get back to the station, when, you, when your tour starts, when you come back from your four-day, uh, let's... Let's get a handle on our sleep. Let's get back to our bunks. Let's let's take a midday rest. Like let's recover. There is no reason why we should be demonizing a nap and resting while we're on shift. It's needed. It's healthy. Our bodies need to recover. We face so much other shit out there. We can control this. Uh, when you go out there, remember be nice to people. It's it's so much better in life and will pay dividends in the long run if you treat people kindly you're nice and you treat them with respect Um, until next time have a great day and get after it